Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. How y'all? Mighty fine? Good. Glad. Hey, uh, if you're visiting uh, with us, maybe guesting with us today for the first time, we're, we've been in a series for about eight weeks now called Connect. We started walking through uh, the book of Ephesians, that incredible letter, and uh, we, we said we were going to take some detours, and we're on one of those detours. We're in the second week of a six-week detour that's going to walk us, march us all the way up to Easter, and what we're doing is we're really digging in deep to the, the gospel, and uh, part of that, we're we, we, we're thinking of this as a spiritual growth campaign, a season of really digging in. And part of that is, is a small group experience. And uh, as, as Gloria said, as, as Tim prayed, it's not too late to get in. I would strongly encourage you. Matt Chandler is an awesome teacher of God's word. He's doing a great job. And uh, one of the things that he uh, brought us to this past week in our time together that our group was really captured by um, was, is this. That the gospel... As much as we like to think of that phrase, the gospel, being mostly for those who have yet to, to know Jesus personally, what, what sometimes get refers to as the lost, uh, usually that's what Christians think the gospel's for, that the writers of most of the letters, the epistles, the, uh, those, those letters to churches that were written by the apostles, um, they point to the reality that the gospel is really uh, for believers, uh, Chandler made this statement. He said, the gospel saves us, the gospel sustains us, and the gospel sanctifies us. Now, I knew going into this series that we were going to get to a place where we would talk about the, the sanctifying power of the gospel. I didn't know what the issue was going to be that we were going to address, uh, but I now know. And so we're going to dive into that today. I, I want to encourage you to pull out your worksheet because we're going to move through it uh, in, in just a moment. Um, but we're going to deal with one, what I'll call, issue uh, where God God wants to sanctify our hearts and it's an issue that quite frankly all of us face. We don't always know we're facing it as we'll see in a little bit but it's something we all face and as is so often with struggles that we have in this life to follow the Lord with full hearts uh, there's usually an undercurrent issue to the way it falls out of our body. Sometimes our behavior goes in a certain direction that's outside of God's best for us. But the, the behavior is not really the issue. There's an undercurrent. And so before we read the main passage of scripture, I want to point to a phrase and a verse out of the main passage that we're going to look at today. So that your heart get kind of captured by this. And it's in Malachi chapter 3. You can find it in verse 9. And God God's word says this to the prophet uh, Malachi. He says, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. Now you may read that and think, uh-oh, you know, this is God speaking and God is saying, since you robbed me, I'm going to curse you. Well, that's not really what that passage is saying. That passage is really saying, there is this curse on you. And one of the manifestations of how that curse gets expressed through your life is you rob me, God says. You, you, you rob me. Because there's this curse. And we know that this curse is the curse of sin. 
And we're going to talk more about this specific manifestation, what this cur curse looks like. But here's what I want us to think about today. today. How can the gospel transform our treasure? Now, this is, again, an issue that we're all, we, we all are going to face and probably are facing in one level or the other. And if the gospel can transform our lives here, it can transform our lives anywhere. And so what I want to do is kind of build a bit of a model for you to think about, well, there are other areas of my life that need to be transformed, that need to be sanctified, made holy by God. And if, if it can make this one holy, if there's a pathway for that, then there's hope for these other areas. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you if you would to turn to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to start reading uh, in verse 1 and then we'll skip uh, over to 6 in a minute. But starting in verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. This is God speaking through the prophet. I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. And sons of Levi is a reference to kind of the priestly system. He will purify the, the priests and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Verse 6. For I the Lord do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. There's kind of a hint there that if, if God changed his mind a lot, they would be toast. He goes on, verse 7, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how, how shall we return? And then God's answer is, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? God's response is in your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want us, I know some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, I came to church on Monday day. And there are some people who, who, who have told me before, I, I only come to church every so often and every time you preach on money. Do you preach on money all the time? And the answer to that question is no. It's not something that we spend a lot of time talking uh, uh, an awful lot about. But this is just one of those days uh, that the gospel finds application on an issue that touches all of our lives. And so there, there's some questions in here that God asks. And we're going to look at those questions, but they, they caused me to have additional questions. And so there are three questions that I want to walk us through today. And the first one is this, is, is how is it possible for my treasure, for your treasure, our treasure to become our master? How, how is that even possible? For something like that to happen, where the, the owned becomes the, the owner, where Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 start drilling into this. And in, in, in verse 8, God says, will a man rob me? 
Will a man rob me? Yet you rob me. Now, that, that, that word rob there is not a simple robbery. It, this is, uh, the, the word that's translated there is rob from the Hebrew word. That word is only used twice in the, in the scriptures. And the word that's used there is a, um, it's a very, very oppressive word. It's the kind of word that would get used when you think about an invading, powerful, wealthy nation coming in and just ransacking and oppressing and pillaging and plundering a, a, a smaller, lesser nation. It's a very violent word. And one of the reasons that scholars kind of wrestled with its translation is because it's, it's, it's kind of like, how could we do that to God? How is it possible that human beings could do something oppressive and plundering and pillaging God in his created order? And so, of course, when people hear that, they're shocked. You know, people that get that, they're saying, how in the world could we do that to, to you, O oh God? And so God comes back with a response. And he says, I'm talking about your heart towards generosity and, and, and giving. I'm, I'm talking about how you handle your treasure. I'm talking about the fact that instead of releasing it, you hold on to it. And you spend too much of it on yourselves and you don't give enough away. God says, you're robbing me. And he's not talking here about some little stinginess. He's not talking here about just some little lack of, of generosity. He, he's talking about this big, huge cosmic evil. This big evil. And the other thing that he's going to show us through, through the scripture is that we're, we're completely oblivious to it. We just can't, we can't even see it. And so in, in the passage that we're looking at, the question that we ask back to God when he says, you're plundering, you're pillaging, you're ravaging me and my creator order, we look back to God and say, how have we robbed you? How is it even possible that we could do that? How many of you remember the, the 80s comedy, Different Strokes? You, you, you remember that? Who was the little star of that show? Gary, Gary Coleman. You remember Gary? When he had that look on his face, what did he always say? What are you talking about, Willis? Well, it's almost like right here in this scripture, we just look at God and say, What are you talking about, God? You know, it's like, God, there's no way. There's no way we can even begin to figure this out. You know, how, how, do, we, how do we do this? It's, it's such a great evil. We don't, and then, then we don't realize what's going on. In, in 1 Chronicles, uh, in chapters 28 and 29, there is this season where God's people are, are raising funds to build the temple. King David's leading that and, and God's people are sending, uh, taking up gifts and offerings and to, to build the temple. And kind of at the end of their, their, their campaign, David, inspired by God, speaks these words. He says, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 11, he says, Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Everything we have comes from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Notice what the Spirit inspired David to say. First of all, anything that we have, God gives us. I anything that we have comes from God. Now, some of you may feel disconnected from that. 
Some of you may be thinking, I, I, I've worked hard for everything I've got. Some of you, your, your theme song is that Donna Summer song, you know, that said, you worked hard for your money. You know, th that's what you think of when you think of what you've got. Instead of thinking everything I have is a gift from God. Because you may have worked hard, but God gave you your abilities. And God gave you your opportunities and God gave you your circumstances and God gave you your wealth and so many other things. You may say, I've worked hard and I'm, you know, I've got what I've got. I am who I am because of that. But if God, if God had decided that you were going to be born in the ninth century on a mountain in Mongolia... You'd have still worked hard, but your life would be a whole lot different. A, a, a whole lot different. See, everything that you have is a gift from God because no matter how hard you work, your circumstances and your abilities and your health, all of that comes to you from God. So everything you have, everything is a gift from God. Second thing that David kind of points out here is that when God gives it, he doesn't give up ownership. He doesn't completely take his hands off of it. He ultimately still owns everything that you have. You've been given it? Absolutely. But it's been given to you as, as a manager. Kind of as a, as a, as a broker. You're, you're a steward. Now, if you're a broker and investors, you know, keep giving you more and more and more because you're making good investments for them. They keep giving you more and more. You get excited because you're going to, you know, get a percentage of the proceeds and you're going to kind of eat off the fruit of that. But you don't begin thinking, unless you want to go to jail, you don't begin thinking, I can do what I want to with their money. I, I, can, I can send it towards any direction or towards any value that I direct because if you start doing that, then it's fraud. And, and you end up in, in jail. Now here's the deal. God is the great creator investor in you. And so he, he invests. Everything that you have is his. He gives it to you to manage, to, to invest for him based, based on his values. And his values can be found right here. You don't have to look hard or far. It, it, it's God's, God's values are in there. And so you know how, what he wants you to do with that. Now here's, here's how the creator God investor created the world. He created it with interdependency and interwovenness. And, and with the goal that there would be shalom. There would be the peace of God would fill the earth. And so there's this connectedness to, to all of God's created order. And so if God gives you opportunities and circumstances and abilities and health, he intends, as that builds some more wealth for you, he intends for you to plant that back in. To, to plow that back into your community. To, to put that back to work. He wants you to share what you have with others. And what happens when you do that? When you're willing to do that, you're giving back to God. And, and humanity begins to flourish. There is, there is shalom. There, there's interwovenness. You'll see churches begin to flourish. Not only would churches flourish more if this was happening, but uh, other organizations and entities who try to care and help, they, they, they would flourish as well. Uh, colleges would, would begin to flourish so we wouldn't see these stupid things happening like this college admissions scandal because there would be enough slots for people to go to college and get an education. It wouldn't create this competitive system. Streets would be safer. 
We, we might not see the kinds of struggles that we see in New Zealand, the massacre there. There, there would be so many differences if shalom had come. But when, when we deny the nature of the gifts we have, when we begin to, to think it's all about us and we, when we deny our role as just simply a manager, or as a broker of, of God's investment, we start basically using all of this on, on ourselves. Do you know what we're doing? We are beginning to pull the threads that unravel God's created order. We start plundering and pillaging and ravaging. We start robbing from God. And it leads to disintegration because what we're doing is we are defrauding the investor. We're defrauding him. And that is not just some little lack of generosity or stinginess. That's a great cosmic evil. Now one of the reasons this issue has such power over us is because it is a great cosmic evil. But the other part of that is we're oblivious to it. God's word says, you know, we ask the question when God lays out this case that we're plundering it. We, we look at God and say, God, how? how we, we are not capable of doing that. All throughout God's word, his word points out that materialism and greed and, and this issue with money is different from so many other sin issues, so many other things that affects our lives. And, and what we're reading here really drives this home, that, that materialism and greed, and, and all throughout scripture this is the theme, that materialism and greed is a sin of the eyes. So it's, a, it's a lust of the eyes. And because it's a, a, it affects our sight, it can blind us. We, we, are, we are incapable of really seeing. Now somebody may say, okay, then, then what exactly are you talking about? What, is this, what does this materialistic greed look like? Well, it, it looks like excess, but it can show up as excess concern over this. It can concern, show up as excess worry about or excess love for or excess need for money and, and possessions. And again, over and over and over, God's word speaks into this and, and says it's unlike any other kind of sin, any other character flaw you see in yourselves because of the power it has over us. That's why when Jesus was teaching on this issue in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, beware. Now if Jesus tells you to beware of something, what should you do? Beware. And not only does he say it once, he kind of says it uh, exactly again. He says, beware, be on your guard. Against every form of greed. He's saying, watch out. This one, this is a shape-shifting kind of thing. It, it takes all kinds of forms. Watch out for it. Have any of you ever been reading in your Bible and, and, ever, and Jesus ever say, beware, be on your guard of every form of adultery? It's not in there. What, what, why, why is it not in there? Is it because Jesus is okay with adultery? No, it's not. It's, it, again, it's because the way that the Bible addresses this, it addresses it because we're blind to this. When you're committing adultery, you know it. You don't suddenly say, oh my gosh, you're not my spouse. Th that doesn't happen. You know? You, you, you know it if you're committing adultery. You, you, you're, you're there. So he doesn't say, watch out, beware. Because you, you, you're aware of this one. On this particular issue, Jesus says, beware, be on your guard. 
You got you got to treat this one differently because the truth about all of us is we almost never know when we're committing it. We almost never realize that greed has gripped us. We almost never realize that materialism is beginning to manage us. Now, over the 35 plus 37 however many long years I've been in ministry, I've had I've had people confess sin to me. And there are some sins that I wish they had never said out loud that they committed to me. Um, you know, that you can't unhear some things, just frankly. And I've never had anybody share that they struggle with this. No, nobody's, nobody has ever come to me and said, I am just a greedy son of a Baptist. Nobody. You know? Nobody's ever said that. You know, it's anger, yeah, people come at pride, yeah, you know, lust, yeah, people, people have come and, and shared those things with me. Greed, nah. no, no, nobody's ever come, done that. And, and here's why I think that is, because we are surrounded by other people who spend even more on themselves than we do. So we can always kind of feel, you know, like we're frugal. We're kind of middle class compared to these others. And so the, the nature of this has power to blind us. Any of you guys science fiction fans? You like sci-fi kind of shows? Anybody else out there? It has a cloaking device. Okay? You can't see it. It, it, it cloaks itself to you. And so here's the deal on this one. If it's true, and, and it is true, the Bible talks a great deal about this struggle with materialism and greed more than any other single issue. And the Bible points out how rampant it is in culture. And if it's also true that it is, it is eroding and pillaging the, 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 the structure, the, the order of God in creation, that it, so much so that it destroys the foundations of society. And if it's true that this evil has a power unlike others that it blinds us, then it should be absolutely true that every one of us, every one of us, would take time regularly to do a soul check here. That we would just check our own souls to see how, how we're doing. To see, is this operating in me in some degree? Could this be true of me? Now somebody, you know, maybe saying to yourself, well, Joe, you're just, you're just trying to make us feel guilty. I, I'm not. My prayer is that you'll be set free. That's the last thing I want to do. It's just that God's word speaks so often to this and speaks to our blindness. Jesus says, be on guard. It's a warning. Let me, let me ask it this way. When was the last time you, you sat down, I mean really, really sat down and kind of did an inventory of all that you have and you kind of looked at that and asked the question, do I really need all of this? Do, 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 is, do I have to have it? Could, could I do, deal with less, do less, maybe take less trips or whatever? Could I, could I do with less in order to give away more? When was the last time you actually sat down and did that? See, th this one's hard because of the blinding power that this has. This, this blinding power. And, and the truth is, if you're going to do it genuinely, you've got to do this in some form of community. If you truly want to get at this, if you want to take this seriously, because it's so hard to see. 
Now, God's Word gives us a, a really straightforward measuring stick so that you could say, God, am, am I anywhere near the ballpark of where you kind of want me to be? God gives us a diagnostic tool right here in this passage. Now, this is not the only way to measure. It's not the only measurement that you should, should give towards this. But it is a clear one. And it's right here in Malachi chapter, chapter 3 in verses 8 and 10. Again, that question we ask is, how do we rob you? And God's answer is, in tithes and offerings. And in verse 10 he goes on to say, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But here's what the Bible is showing us. God, in the Old Testament at least, required at least 10% of their annual income to be given back to him for the purpose of his work. Now anytime you bring the word tithe up in the New Testament church... Especially in our culture. It's, not as, it's worse than it's ever been, I think. But you, in fact, you can go online and read about this. There's all kinds of debates on, should, should New Testament Christians tithe? You know, isn't that about the law? And, you know, th th we're not confounded, you know, to, to that. We're not to be conformed by that. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus commended a habit in your life, how many times does Jesus have to say something before you think, probably ought to do that. Let me give you an example. Jesus has a private meeting with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And in that meeting, Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. You know what we Baptists do with that? We build a whole theology around that thing, baby. How many times did Jesus say that to people? Uno once so but we 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 live in that we we got to be born again you must be born again we're there man because Jesus said it look at Luke chapter 11 Jesus said what sorrow awaits you Pharisees for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your little herb gardens but you ignore justice and the love of God you should tithe yes but do not neglect the more important things. Again, Jesus is saying this to Pharisees. Again, this is the only time that Jesus talks about tithing. But he says his people should do this. That it's right for the people of God to tithe. Now, Jesus is also going a little further and says, don't let it become legalistic. Don't get so tied up to that that you're, you refuse to go beyond that. Because then all you're doing is trying to check boxes off and your heart is ruined. Because your heart doesn't give out of love. And out of a heart for justice in the world, it just becomes some legalistic code. But what Jesus says here is such a significant statement. And here's what I understand it to mean. We, we should never even begin to entertain thoughts that would suggest for a moment that those of us in the new community, under the new covenant, those who have so much more, we have God's spirit living in us. We have the full measure of the gospel storied out that they didn't have. We have all these things that the, those living under the Old Testament didn't have. And we think that what is required of us here is going to be less that we shouldn't, that, that's crazy. 
I think what Jesus is saying, and, and, and I think the reason Jesus doesn't talk about the tithe more often is because Jesus doesn't want it to become a legalistic thing for us. I think Jesus just wanted his people to see this is a baseline measurement. This is like the starting line on dealing with this issue, this great big cosmic evil. It's just that's what tithing is. It's just a starting line, a way to start. Now, on this issue again, don't, you can't just trust yourself. Some of you are probably sitting here thinking, oh, 10%, that's just way overboard. That's just too much of my income. You're trusting yourself. You're, you're trusting yourself. See, that's how money exercises power over it. You're, you're blinded to it. And, and see, nobody, nobody, nobody... <laughs> people come and people I don't know if you've ever done this and I'm not finding fault if you do I, I enjoy it in fact people will come to me sometimes and suggest some things they think you ought to speak on you know and people like heaven like it when we talk about heaven and people people like it when we talk about grace you know nobody ever comes and says Joe preach on money I do have a few of you from time to time to say, you know, I only visit every so often. Every time I'm here, you're talking about money. And we don't talk about it that much. You know, we, 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 we just don't talk about it that much. It's getting warm in here for anybody? No. Let's go to the second question. Second question is this. Why, why, why does our treasure have so much power? How is it even possible that our treasure can have that much power over us? And, and God's word kind of presses into this answer on, in verse 10. God says, bring the full tithe, the whole 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, that word there, house, not storehouse, but the word house, is actually the temple. And of course, it talked about that up in, in verses 1 and 2. We're going to go back to that. But when God is saying here, when he says to his people, make sure you bring... Your gold and your silver and your first fruits and that, that, that 10% to the temple, to, to my house. Now, how do, how do you translate that today? Because we're not, we're not Jewish temple-worshipping kinds of people. You know, it goes on to say, give your money into the storehouse of the temple. How does, how does that translate for, for us today? What does that mean for us? How can we do the same thing? Well, I, I want us to look at those two phrases, house uh, or temple and, and storehouse. What, what is that, how does that translate for us today? Well, first of all, the temple was where God's people gathered for the worship of God. To worship Yahweh. They, they, God's people gathered there to worship Him. They would do that. They would do that weekly. But not only was it the gathering place for worship, it was also the distribution center for ministry. It was out of the, 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 the temple where distributions took place. Now, I just want to say something uh, about in the New Testament. And people have different opinions about that, and God bless them. But here's what I understand. I understand that for the, the New Testament believer, it's where you regularly gather to worship. And it should be you gather to worship in a place where, where what's going in is also going out in some ways to carry on the, the mission of God. And so, I, I just want to say something. Some of you may take offense at that, what I'm about to say. We'll figure that out later. Um, but here's what I want to say. I, I have no shame in, in asking you to give through the ministry, this, this giving that God is calling you to do, to do it through the ministry of River Bluff Church. 
I, I have no shame in that. Now, yeah, we have, we have to pay for the building. And yeah, we, we, we have to pay staff. But there is so much that flows out of this place into other places in this community. You know, we, we, we keep another campus open to, to, to plant churches out of that were done over there. To, to, to feed the poor and clothe and, and do ministry of care. Uh, we, there are so many outlets where things are flowing out of here. So I have no, no problem whatsoever. If you, if you gather to worship here, that this is a place where you're, what you give will flow back out to bless the community. To, will flow back out to create that cohesion to bring about shalom, the peace of God, locally and, and globally. Through the support we give to foreign missions. That's the temple. But what's the storehouse deal about? Because I've come to understand that the meaning of this word the, gives us an insight why, why money has power over us. Why it has such a great power. This word storehouse really is the Hebrew word for treasury. And so I think, I think the best way to translate this, this passage out of Malachi would be bring your treasure into the treasury. Because that's what the storehouse was. It was a place where the, their, their treasure was brought. Now, in, in that day, there were lots of, lots of different temples. All kinds of temples to all kinds of deities. And they always would support the worship of that deity and whatever system of salvation that deity offered. Now, when God says, bring me the whole tithe, and he specifically said, bring all of it, the whole thing, into my treasury, I think there's an implication. I think God's saying, bring it in so that the service of my salvation system, so that the worship of me would go out. And I think the implication is, if you're not bringing the whole tithe there, then your, your tithe, your giving is going into some other temple. If it's not coming to God's place, to God's storehouse, then you're giving it in some other, into some other treasury. Let, let me give you three possible examples of, of what other treasuries look like. If you find it hard to give away money to the work of, of God's kingdom to do, if, it, if it's just so hard for you to write that check or type that into your phone to, to give, um, but... It is just so easy for you. It's like falling off a log to buy new clothes. New shoes. It's just, it's just like, it's just so simple. To, to make that, that kind of investment. But writing out anything for, for the kingdom. You know, it doesn't matter what you say you believe on this issue. Whichever one of those two things is, is easier for you points to something. You know, if it's about your personal appearance, then what you're doing is your, your treasury is, is, is being, you're the temple. And you're wanting your temple to look nice because you're hoping that it's going to bring you significance or acceptance or make you, you know, more lovable or, or something like that instead of looking to God for those things. Maybe you find it difficult to write uh, release monies into the, the kingdom because you've been putting it all in your new house. You've been trying to upfit that, that home and what, what happens is that has become your temple. And what you're really doing is saying, you know, look where I can live. Look what I can possess. And, and because it makes you feel important. It makes you feel significant. Instead of the knowledge of God giving you those things. 
A third scenario is kind of a little opposite of those two. You, you may be somebody who, <clears throat> who sneers at and makes fun of all those people that are, as you would put it, they're just wasting their money on all that stuff, that outward stuff. While what you're doing is you're socking it away in this great savings plan. You know, you're, you're, you're investing it. You know, you, you look and you say, look, I, my, my shoes, my shoes are 10 years old. We can tell, you know, we know your shoes, but I'm, I'm, so, I'm saving it. I'm socking it all away. You know, I, I live in a, a more affordable home and you're, you're very, 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 very proud of that. So, so proud of that. You, you sneer at spenders, but what you're doing, instead of, instead of giving, you're, you're hoarding. And here's the deal. Your bank is your temple. Your investor is your priest. You know, it's, it's, it's no different. You're, you're, look, you're in a chaotic world, and you're looking at those abilities for security and, and for control. You, you say, hey, if, you know, if my job goes away, pfft, I got it covered. My career just blows up, you know. I have control. I'm in control. And, and you do that because you can think, I don't, I don't even have to trust God here. You know, you, it may be, you know, beauty and you, you, you do the clothing thing. It may be status and respect. So you do the possession thing. But whatever is effortless for you to pour into, that's your real temple. And it, it has a storehouse. Because whatever it is you're spending on, that's, that's your real God. It, it becomes your real Savior, your real Lord. It is your real source of hope. It is your real source of meaning. It is your real source of security. It becomes your real source of, uh, of significance. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. It, it, it doesn't matter. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the almighty dollar? You ever heard that phrase? There's a reason that phrase has prominence in our culture. Not necessarily because people worship the dollar, but because money will always do this. Money will always show you what you worship. That's why the dollar is almighty. The, the person who's socking it away, you know, laughing at other people, spending it, their idol is security. For some people, money serves as a, you know, an approval idol. For others, it's a control idol. The point is, whatever you find it easier to spend on and invest on than kingdom ministry, you're enslaved to that as an idol. And your money is going into the treasury of that idol's temple, not God's. See, money can't possibly, it never will give you what you think it might give you if you're investing in idols because idols are empty. An idol can never give you security. It, it, it'll never happen. I, I recently read a story that was told by a, a, a college professor who worked at a college, a Christian college, and uh, he taught some introductory religion courses. He, he was a religion professor. And he told about two young woman, women in his New Testament introductory class who, um, who were very, very bright. Everybody was required to take New Testament or Old Testament um, survey introduction in order to, to attend that college. But these two, two young ladies were very bright. Their parents wanted them to finish their four-year degree and then jump right in and go get, 
go get their master's and then before they dove into a career. And both of these young ladies had become Christians the semester earlier uh, at, at school. And they were very excited about their new faith. And so they're, they're, they're in this New Testament introduction class and they're learning about Jesus. And, and they're learning about the, the launch of the church. And they get excited about their faith. And they get so excited uh, about their faith that they rearrange their schedules for next semester. So they can take another Bible class and another class in Christian studies. And along this journey, they surrender to be missionaries. To take the gospel out globally. Well, guess who has a fit? Mom and dad. Mom and dad blow a gasket. And so one of them called this professor and, and, and said that one of the reasons that these bright ladies had become, and this was a quote, religious fanatics, and now they're going off, instead of getting a career, going off and recklessly squandering it all out in the wild blue yonder. That was something else they said. The mother told the professor, we wanted our daughters to get a master's degree. We wanted them to do that so they could then get into a good career, so they could have some security. The professor said that in what was a moment in which he was filled with the Spirit, gently replied, Ma'am, let me just remind you of something. We're all on a little ball of rock called Earth. And we're spinning along through space at zillions of miles an hour. And even if we never run into anything, eventually we're all going to die. And that means under every single one of us, there's a trap door that's going to open and we're going to fall off this ball of rock. And underneath will either be the everlasting arms of God or something worse. And maybe, maybe we can get a master's degree to get some security. But the biggest savings account in this world can't stop cancer. Or traffic accidents. It can't stop broken hearts. It can't give you any of the things that only God can give. He's the only security you have. He's the only significance you will ever have. He's the only love that you can get that you can't lose. And the professor said the only thing she said before she hung up was, Okay. Now he said he expected to get a call from the president of the college that never came. He never heard another word about it. And the girls did go on to get their masters in church planning and global missions. And they're, they're on the field today. The almighty dollar cannot give you what only the almighty God can. It, it can't happen. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He said, no servant can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Mammon. You, you can't do it. Now, in, in biblical times, can you bring that next slide up? In biblical times, there were basically three kinds of gods. Three, three, when when the God's people went into the promised land, they were encountered Canaanite tribes. And those Canaanite tribes basically had three idols, three kinds of gods that they worshipped. One of those gods was, was Baal or Baal, uh, the god of sex and fertility. Um, there was a god, Molech, who was kind of the god of war and, and the god of violence. And then there was this god, Mammon, who was the god of wealth or the god of money. And they literally had, you know, little wooden metal idols that we don't have today. You know, but we have the same idols. We just pay billions of dollars annually to, to go see our, our idols of sex, violence, and money on the big screen. 
You know, we, we, it's the same idols. You know, we just don't have the, the rock, paper, metal versions of them kind of thing. We, instead of metal images, we have these, these mental images. And our shrine isn't, you know, something like that. But we can find our idols on that little box, you know, that you can power up. And, and they show up, right, our, our, our images show up right there. And it can be, you know, images of success. Or images of sensuality. Or images of wealth. Same idols. They, they, they've never gone away. And the image of mammon is huge in our culture. And it's so difficult to raise children to have values other than what they see coming out of these idols. And that is why it is so utterly important, parents, for your kids to see you slaying these idols. For your kids to be able to see you, to how do you destroy them in your own life? How do you destroy this one? How do you deal with mammon? And that leads to our third question. What... What could possibly break the power of mammon? How do we overcome this one? How do we overcome this power so our treasure doesn't overpower us? Especially since it's so easy for us to be blind to it. Well, the answer is back up in verses 1 and 2 that we read. And the answer is found at the temple. Go back to Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. God says, Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek. What you're really looking for, folks. What you're really looking for. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Who will give you life. You'll be delighted in him. Behold, he is coming. Says the Lord of hosts. Now every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they're looking back on that, they'll tell you this, that that messenger that's going to pave the way, that's John the Baptist. And the one that is coming to the temple, that's Jesus. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. And it was the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, on, a, on a donkey and people rose up and basically proclaimed him Messiah. And as they were doing that, Jesus made his way where first? What was his first stop? The temple. The he came. You know what he did when he got to the temple? He starts tearing it up. He starts turning over tables. He starts driving things out. He starts tearing down that temple. It's, a, it's just a kind of a stunning thing to, to have witnessed this. He had done it before. And in fact, if you went to John chapter 2, when Jesus did it before, the Pharisees basically said, Who do you think you are? Why, why do you think you should come into the temple of God and, and begin this destruction? And Jesus says, watch this. Verse 19. Jesus says, If you destroy this temple... I'll raise it up in three days. Now, some of them may have thought he was talking about that building, but he was talking about the temple of his body. He was talking about who he was. It's one of the most stunning statements any religious leader ever, ever made. And here's why. Because religious leaders know, because they show up and they, they want you to build temples and they want to build houses of worships and they, 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 they want to build places where these treasuries can, can exist because they understand that there's a chasm that separates humanity and deity. There's this great chasm that's got to be overcome. It's got to be bridged. And so they come bringing rules and codes and teachings and eight, eight paths and all these other kinds of things. Systems of rituals. Systems 
systems of salvation, systems of mediation. And they got to have a treasury to make all that happen. So they, 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 they want to bridge this gap. But Jesus, Jesus is the only one that says no. Jesus says, here's the deal. I'm going to live... I'm going to live the life that you should have lived. And I'm going to die the death that you should have died. And my destroyed, resurrected body is going to be the bridge over that chasm. I'm going to fill in that hole, that infinite hole. I'm going to pay the price. See, here's the deal. Jesus said, I'm going to become the priest in all priesthoods. Jesus says, I'm the temple that will destroy all and replace every other temple. So what does that have to do with your treasure? With, with, with your money? What, what does it have to do with your treasure now? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. You know this verse. Where your treasure is, what's going to come along? Your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now here's the question. Do you know that place? Do you know the place where your heart is? Because that's where your treasure is. And here's what that means. And this is why I said out of the gate, this, this impacts every person in this room. Because we have all set our heart on something. All of us have set our heart on something. And we believe it's going to give us significance or security or whatever. For some, it's our kids. For some, it's our career. For some, it's our business. You know, we're going to get that certain amount of money and, and that's going to give it, you know, whatever. We get that in the bank, we're, we're, we're good. We're golden. Some think it's beauty. We have all set our heart on something. And where your heart's treasure is, wherever you determine what that is, you will do anything for it. You will pay any cost You'll do anything to maintain it. You'll do anything to sustain it. You'll do anything to reclaim it. And here's what Jesus did. Jesus came and he died for you. Why? Why would he do that? Well, the only answer that makes any sense is why would he go to hell? Why would he go through the experience of being infinitely separated from his father? Why would he go through that experience? And the only possible answer is, his treasure is you. You're, you're where his heart is. See, because you die for your treasure. You'll do anything for your treasure. You'll do anything to purchase it. Here's what's really fascinating about this, folks. Every other treasure in the world says you've got to die to get it. So, some of you right now, some of you right now, your career, you're running after it and, and you're working yourself into the ground. And your career is demanding that you purchase it and, and it's killing you. There are so many things out there, other treasures that basically you have to die for. Jesus is the only treasure that died for you. He's the only treasure. That's why Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, his second letter, in, in, in chapter 8, we can read this. He says, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. And then he goes on to say this. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. See, do you see what Paul is doing here? He's saying, I'm not going to put pressure on your will. 
I'm just not going to pressure you. You know, he's not going to say, hey, I'm an apostle. I had an encounter with Jesus and Jesus said, give your money. Paul's not going to come at you that way. He's not going to come and try to break down your emotions and he's not going to show you hungry orphans and say, you need to, you need to take care of them. Paul's saying, I'm not going to put pressure on your emotions. I'm not going to put pressure on your will. What does Paul say? Paul says, if you want freedom, if you want significance, if you want security, if you want that, you got to look to Jesus. You're not going to find value in your wealth in anything besides Jesus functioning as your Lord and your Savior. Think for just a moment about the radical generosity of Jesus. In fact, Paul would say, you keep thinking about the radical generosity of Jesus until you become free of mammon. Keep thinking about applying that story to your own life until it sets you free in this area. Until it has power to transform your treasure. Because when you see him dying and you're the treasure of his heart, then and only then will he become your heart's treasure. It's only going to be through that. When you see that he made, you know, you his treasure in his heart, you'll make him your treasure. And your heart will follow. And suddenly those other things don't have power over you. Money just simply becomes money. He becomes what's significant. Suddenly money is not your security. He is your security. Suddenly money is not power. Because power comes for you to live through him and you'll be, you'll be free. Paul says when you're, when you're trying to sort all this mess out. He said, normally what you would do in the flesh is you would sit down with a calculator and you would get your columns lined up. And what Paul is saying, when you're trying to figure this out, don't sit down with a calculator or columns. Sit down with a cross. Let the cross speak into this for you. Let it be what guides you. Think about what he did. How he loved you. How, how he gave for you. Because only the power of the gospel can transform your treasure. Only the power of the gospel will ever transform anything in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the gospel. Thank you that you are the good news that sets us free from every captivity. You are the the power that breaks every idol. Your love. Jesus, would you help us get so saturated and soaked in you to see you, to see your love for us that, so that it would drive out any other love, any other lie. So that the blindness will fall off our eyes and we can, we can really truly see your dream, your hope for what you've given us. For our treasure to finally have power to be released into your kingdom. To bring, to bring peace. To bring your shalom, God. Into our own lives, into the lives of our community and our world. Father, we come thanking you, Jesus. Because every time we sit down with our calculators, it never adds up. 
It never gives us what we want. It always comes up empty. And we're asking you now. We just want to sit in front of the cross. We just want to see you high and lifted up. We want to see the power of your resurrection to overcome this death that we live in and this issue in our lives and every other issue. So we thank you, God. We thank you that even in the midst of this, you, you always hold on to us. You never let go of us. Even though we let go of you to try to grab on to everything else, you never let go of us. And maybe you're here today and for the very first time you realized you've tried to build your life on everything but Jesus. And you realize that all he's ever done is want to love you. That all he's ever done is want to be your security. That all he's ever done is want to satisfy the longing of your soul. And maybe today for the very first time the gospel makes sense and you're longing for that in your life. And Jesus just says, call on me. Give your life to me this day. We'll start building the gospel, the beauty, the sanctifying, sustaining power of the gospel that can save you. We'll start building that in your life. Every nook and cranny and crevice of your heart. All you got to do is call on him. That way, and Jesus says, you'll be saved. Turning from your plans and turning to him. So we come, Jesus. We come to let go of whatever it is you're telling us to let go of so we can just cling to you and fall in your arms that will never let us go. Hold us, Jesus. Lift us up as we cling to you now. As we come to worship with our hearts, as we come to give back to you our tithes, our full tithes. Our offerings, God, because we don't want it to just be some legalistic checkbox. We want it to be our hearts flowing to give back to you so that salvation may come to this world, so that shalom may come. We come because of our love. We come giving. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for never letting go of us. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.